pastoral staff here. My name is Steve. I want to welcome you all this morning. And uh, our ushers have a guest bag. If, if you're a first-time guest, we want to give you a, a gift bag. Would you just raise your hand if you're a first-time guest this morning? I, uh, I think we've got... Have you guys been here before? Leo, is, are these first-time guests? I think uh, Jaime's family from all the way from Guatemala... And uh, anybody else, uh, first-time guest, your friend, you've got a bag, okay. Well, anyway, uh, we want to welcome those that have joined us online, and uh, hopefully you can meet with us in person at, a, at another time. But, uh, yeah, we're back online, so I wanted to praise the Lord for that and thank uh, Ray for getting that working. And uh, if you haven't noticed, we've got some new carpet. We're very thankful for that. And I think the stage is still going to be replaced yet, so that'll be new coming here soon. But uh, yeah, if you if you've got a guest bag this morning, uh, there's a little white card in it, and uh, we we don't want your money. But at the end of service, we're going to pass the offering plate, and if you can put uh, if you can fill out the white guest card and put that in there, so we have a record of your attendance, we can uh, our pastor can reach out to you next week. We'd love for you to do that. But I think at this time our, our youth group is going to do something. So I'm going to sit down and, uh, but thank everybody for being here.
Okay, that was a lot of pictures. If you guys didn't recognize a lot of those faces, we went with, uh, maybe, oh, by the way, if you're, if you were at camp, start working your way up here. Uh, we went with Maple City Baptist Church from Monmouth, Illinois. This is our third year in a row going with them. And, uh, so a lot of those faces that you didn't recognize were from Monmouth. Uh, this was our biggest, uh, camp that we've been to, I think, think since I took over seven years ago and uh, we had 26 students um, MCBC brought 24 students we had 50 50 junior high and high school kids and I think 19 adults <laughs> this is most of them and uh, I usually I get up here and I talk and tell you guys all about camp uh, the couple things I wanted to mention was the theme was endure which you saw at the beginning and you see it on all of our shirts uh, came from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, there, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And uh, the first few verses of Hebrews chapter 12. 
but the coolest thing from camp this year, for me at least, as as the uh, youth leader, was we asked the kids this morning, you know, hey, does anybody want to share? I, I gave the adults a little bit of a heads up because I thought more adults would want to share. Uh, but several of the students said they wanted to share, which uh, you'll see some of the students that are sharing. It was a big surprise or an encouragement to me that uh, some of the kids maybe who are shy to get up in front of everybody and talk were like, yeah, I want to share something that God did in my life this week. So I'm going to give them most of the time. Where's Phil? Phil, I'm going to have Phil start, and then Nick's going to end, and you guys can just pass the mics between yourselves. All right, I'm going to be quick. I, did, I uh, decided I was going to wheel this, um, but I want to share a couple verses. Psalms 46, uh, 10, 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. I just really want to, at least for me, um, I forgot sometimes how hard it is to uh, be a teenager. Um, I think it's... Adults, we can can sometimes forget the 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 mundane things they have to deal with in school and just the the tumultuous environment that they can be in on a daily basis. And um, I think the I mean we can all recognize that the world is getting darker. Um, they're living in a day and age where um, a lot of things that were acceptable uh, and not acceptable are backwards um, in their day and age. And I would just encourage um, you guys to uh, pray for these kids, that they remember that they have the God of gods and they have, you know, they have refuge. They have they have strength through God um, to be able to go out and, you know, maybe take that fear of being different, that fear of being a light in a dark world and, you know, really turn it to faith and be able to stand in God knowing that he, they can do anything as long as they rest assured that he is the, is the Lord um, and just really pray for these kids, man. They're, these are a lot of great kids. Um, I didn't really know a whole lot of them very well. Um, we we got a we got a good group of kids, and the world's going to try to snuff out the flames they are. Um, so I would just encourage you guys keep them in their thoughts, or keep them in your thoughts. Um, and I just want to encourage you guys. You guys were a blessing to me, um, and I appreciate you guys having me. Hi. <laughs> so a few things that I took from camp was being more in the word and the influencer Mason talked about don't be influenced by the world but by the Bible and the song Monday Morning Faith which was the first song that they played was something I need to have more instead of just my mother's faith in it. And a few things I was happy to do was go see my friends from MCBC and then make new friends from MCBC. Hi. Um, so something I got out of camp was Mason uh, grabbed three students from the crowd of students, and he demonstrated how he needed uh, we needed Jesus so God can talk through us. And if we don't have Jesus, God can't use us, and he doesn't even want to look at us. But another thing that I've learned is that when I'm being discipled, I should also be discipling someone else. With with me learning my things, I should be learning, teaching others about it.
So the biggest thing I took from camp was to be a mentor and be a laborer and harvest your field because there's a lot of lost people out there and you don't know who's like going to go to heaven, who's going to go to hell. So, yeah. Hi, so what? Um, last year I got saved and baptized, and Bo Green on Wednesday night, he was like, what's your next step in faith? And I'm going to get discipled. So, And um, at camp he was also like, you need a mentor and you need to be, you need to have a mentee. So that's... Twice. Hey. I've waited for a yeah. uh, Yesterday, when Luke uh, let us know that we were all going to be coming up here and talking to you guys, uh, he said that we would probably have about three or four minutes after praise. And uh, I thought to myself, uh, that's not enough time to say all that I have to say. And then I thought to myself, Brian owes me a few minutes, so it'll be okay. Uh, uh, Mason did an amazing job teaching us uh, this week. He, he did great. Uh, and there were a few things that, I had, uh, that he said that were so good that I just had to write them down. Uh, one of them was uh, salvation is so much more than just getting to heaven. Uh, and then the meaningful relationships don't happen by accident. Uh, and then you always purpose to live what you love. Uh, and, the, and the thing that I wanted to share with you guys is... Uh, you don't want to be a constipated Christian. Uh, I can tell that some of you guys are asking yourself what that is, so I'm here to tell you. Uh, a constipated Christian is someone who sits here week after week, uh, taking in the vast knowledge that we get fed every week, and never gets it out. Uh, maybe some of you are like, but I don't know how, or I have tried, but I can't. Well, you're in luck. Let HBF be your suppository. <laughs> there are a plethora of ways in which you can help, which they can help. From slinging hot dogs and Johns and Romans with the Newlands on Pearl Street to the harvest party with the Coens and having a stand with them uh, to helping out in the E-Wing with the Littles or even getting involved in D1, D2, or HBI. These are just a few of the things offered here, and if you want to find out more on this and the side effects, see Brian after uh, church for the Next Steps meeting. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, getting to go to youth camp with these guys uh, is honestly a blessing. Like Luke said, seeing these guys do things that I myself struggle with, like getting up in front of people, uh, like volunteering to serve to all their peers, uh, it really is a uh, a blessing, and uh, honestly, uh, sometimes I feel like I need youth camp more than they need youth camp. So, that's all.
All right. Well, that was so ex- that's so exciting, isn't it? That is awesome. So, uh, man, I'm excited about all that God has done through youth camp and through the youth, and and also not just the youth, but the counselors. It's uh, it's really exciting. Uh, can you guys hear me? Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure I was on. So. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Exodus chapter 11. We're going to continue in our study. Again, if you are joining us online, we're glad that you're with us. And uh, we're continuing our study called Getting Out of Egypt, a sermon series. And I'm going to circle back around to chapter 11. We covered it a couple weeks ago. And uh, I'm going to cover it once again uh, today as well. And so Exodus chapter 11, and I'm going to look at the other side of the coin. How many of you are old enough to remember the old... The old uh, E.F. Hutton commercials, just kind of, yeah, so about a third of you, so it's pretty old. That, that, that goes back to the 70s. I was but a wee little lad, and, um, and so there were these commercials about uh, by this broker, and uh, anybody remember, what was the phrase? What was the, six words, I think it was six words. That's right, when E.F. Hutton talks or speaks, People listen. Now they had this series of commercials where, you know, whenever that name came up, everybody turned in and listened, right? And and everything went silent. You know, when God's word is is preached, we should listen, but we don't always do it. But God is giving some really important words in Exodus 11, and I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. It's like a vitamin. It's small. It's only 10 verses, but it is it's packed full of information as He's preparing to to get them out of the world, out of Egypt, uh, into the wilderness which is the transition to the promised land. And so their, their exodus, the name of the book is Exodus. The exit is coming soon. And this is a very important passage of Scripture. And, uh, and we really need to take note. Now, last week, I meant, or two weeks ago, I mentioned that uh, there was five words of warning, five words of warning, and those are listed for you on your handout, if you've got a handout in the bulletin. And today we're going to talk about the, the other side of that coin, uh, the five words of the five words of wisdom that God has for the children of Israel. The message is both to the the Egyptians, to Pharaoh, and it's also, of course, to uh, the the children of Israel. And this morning, it is also to us. So, if you have your Bibles, let's look in Exodus chapter 11 once again and and read through the text. Exodus chapter 11 and verse one, and it won't take us too long. It says, "And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt." Afterwards, he will let you go. Hence, when he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out. Hence, altogether speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, thus saith the Lord. About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the, uh, the mill, and the firstborn of the beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, Against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. Verse 8, And all these thy servants shall come down unto me, and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out, and all the people that follow thee, and after that I will go out. 
And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied uh, in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word. Lord, we want to thank you for speaking to us now. Thank you for uh, calling us out, your, your called assembly. Thank you for the guests that are gathered here. Thank you for our friends and family even coming from uh, places like Guatemala and, uh, and all regions around the Midwest here today. Uh, we're thankful for the opportunity uh, to just hear from you. And, Lord, I have nothing to add here. So I just pray, God, that you would speak uh, to your people, your words, with your power, for your glory, that we would take heed to what was even talked about this morning in the youth camp update, that we would, uh, that we really would take your word seriously, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but also doers, as we were admonished um, just a few moments ago. Lord, thank you and praise you for uh, your loving church. Thank you for your word that is true. Thank you, most importantly, Heavenly Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit that teaches us all things whatsoever he has said to us. We pray now, uh, Lord, a quickening to not just the preaching, but to the hearing and the actions that will follow upon hearing these words of wisdom from your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning, just by way of, of a review, uh, if you don't have a note sheet in front of you, uh, we covered a couple weeks ago some words of warning, some words of warning that were given through the same text, and we focused them on what God was uh, you know, for, uh, for predicting, foreshadowing, telling Moses what was about to happen. Right, and and we saw that there was a war, word of warning uh, to this world, and of course there is a word of warning to this world. The Bible is a warning, uh, and if you don't receive it, it's a real blessing to us that receive the word of God. But it's a judgment if you don't. Right, the, the words of the Bible are weighty, and we should take heed to what they say. We we saw a couple of weeks ago that fighting God will cost you financially and materially. So thus far through the nine plagues, we've seen that that. That this war that, that is being waged for worship between Pharaoh and God is costing uh, Pharaoh more than he can spend. And that is always the goal of war, is to make the enemy run out of resources so that they have to surrender. The problem with Pharaoh is he would rather die than surrender. And we know how the story ends. He will ultimately die because he will not surrender. And so we see a, see a warning there. So today we understand at the end of every message, I give people a time to respond to the call to the grace of God. Why? Because there's a time in every one of our lives where we need to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. The time to surrender is now, right? To bow our knee and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. How many of you have surrendered this morning? Amen? Yeah. And if you haven't surrendered... Uh, if you're really not comfortable saying, I've surrendered my soul, my life to Christ, I've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, that is where you need to stay today. You need to really meditate on that and, and make sure that you get that settled with God. You need to be right with God because this message is a warning. Every message is a warning. All right, we also saw that, so fighting God, it's going to cost you financially, materially. We saw that fighting God cost you your credibility, right? Pharaoh lost his credibility, which to a prideful man like Pharaoh, a man who claims to be a God and and the primary, one of the primary deities for that nation, that's a, that's a big hit. His credibility was in the toilet, and it was tanked. It was with the, all that, refu, that refuse that, uh, that Nick was talking about. It's, just, it's, it's, worth, it's not worth anything. It's the dung. Uh, his credibility was gone, and, and then it was also costing his posterity. Now, he hasn't learned that lesson yet, but we know in the Exodus, in, this, in that tenth plague, uh, as the death angel comes over, he will eventually lose 
uh, even his children and his heritage, his posterity will be affected. And then uh, fighting God costs you emotionally. We talk, God tells him in Exodus 11:6. we just read it, when the Passover comes, this next plague is going gonna, is gonna to hit them so hard that everyone is going to cry. I mean, they're going to cry out in anguish because uh, this, this last plague is, is unique from all the others. It is, it is the knockout blow. Uh, and God is not dealing with them any longer. So it's an emotional, uh, it's emotionally gonna, to, gonna take its toll because they were fighting against God and it takes its toll. Have you noticed that a lot of people have emotional problems in our culture? And it gets worse and worse and worse. Why is that? Well, because they're fighting God. They're confused. They're, they're, they're fighting against what God set forth in nature. I mean, these things are just, they're on, on our face. You see it everywhere you turn. And so, uh, just listen to the warnings. Look at what God says. And the last thing we saw is that fighting God costs you relationally, right? Uh, as, as Moses goes out the door, we just saw again as we read the text, he's angry down there around verse 7. He, he, we haven't seen Moses get angry. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, he had a temper. Obviously, he has a temper. Um, he had a temper and killed a guy. He has a temper later on and breaks the Ten Commandments. You know, he, he can be hot, hot. But this whole time, through nine plagues, he's been even-tempered. I mean, he's been cool as a cucumber. He hasn't gotten in anyone's face or got in anyone's grill. But now, at the end of this, uh, as, as God is talking and, and he's continuing this ninth plague, actually, and I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago from chapter 10, this is all kind of combined. You're getting a, another look at it, uh, kind of an inside look at what God is dealing with with Moses. We see at the end of that, God's like, uh, tells us that, yeah, Moses was angry when he left. He, he was not, uh, he was not, no longer respecting Pharaoh. As as the head of the state, he had had enough of Pharaoh, just like God had had enough of Pharaoh, and he leaves angry. Now, if Pharaoh had any sense, right, that would make his knees weak, because he is now in a situation where this God, who certainly has been judging him, is now angry with him. You know, several a uh, couple centuries ago, in this very nation, before it was a nation, um, there was a preacher. I think we were actually a young republic at the time, but there was a preacher named Jonathan Edwards who preached a message called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And that message was so sobering to that congregation, and it kind of resonated out. It brought revival to all the colonies or all the the states. I don't remember what time that was, if it was the colonies or the states at the time. But that, that was a, such an impactful message that it brought a, a wave of revival. Because the judgment was coming. They really understood that judgment was coming. If Pharaoh really understood the warning, he would recognize, wow, he's angry, right? And not, now, you know what? It is the love of God that, that draws us to Christ. But some of us, and I'll use my own testimony, I had to see the wrath of God before I could comprehend the love of God. Once I understood that I was in the target of God's just wrath and I deserved everything I got, then God said, okay, now, Brian, one more time. Let me bring this grace across your plate. And then I got it. Then I got it. And I knew that if I didn't bow my knee and confess with my mouth, I was not sure I would ever have another chance again. And so God's not, he's not obligated uh, to give us multiple chances, by the way. Uh, If you hear the gospel once, really, I mean, blood's off our hands. But you know what? God is so gracious, isn't he? So many times he'll, he'll bring the good news by us, not just once, not just twice, but I used to preach at a mission. I'm talking, I mean, day after day, 365, two times a day at least, men are hearing the gospel, hearing the gospel. And you know why God does that, I believe? Because when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to look at some people that, that were probably the furthest away. And we're going to remember that God's hand was not short, that it couldn't save. 
and that God in his mercy and grace was bringing the gospel day after day after day to the farthest and the most uh, you know, the most difficult situations, God finds ways to get the gospel there. And yet men still and women still reject the gospel. So that kind of reviews over what we saw with the words of warning this morning as we kind of take another look at this text and, and we look at the words of wisdom. I want to just take a different perspective on the same chapter. And, and, uh, and, and our, our title this morning, of course, is a word of wisdom to the people of God. You know, when you're saved, this is kind of the good news part of the message. I've given you all the bad news first. So the good news is when you're saved, it's, it is so good. God gives you wisdom. He wants you and he wants I to understand what he's doing. Moses and the children of Israel, Aaron, they have an inside track on what's coming next. Have you noticed that about, about us? We have an inside track on what's coming next. I'm getting ready to start dispensations Tuesday night in HBI, right? What do we, we look at the Bible dispensationally. We not only look at how God dealt and dispensed grace in the past, how he's doing it today. We are able to look forward in the future because God has given us insight. He's given us wisdom from his word on how he interacts with humanity and how he interacts with man and how he interacts with angels and how he interacts with Satan. We have all that information. It comes to us in the volume of a book, right? Lo, it's written of me, the word of God. So... It's so amazing what God gives us. And so we have this, this uh, word of wisdom. And so the first point in your notes there is, is we need to make sure we wait on God to deliver what he promises. And we saw that in verse 1. Wait on God to deliver what he promises. The Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. And then he goes, Afterwards he will let you go hence. So he says, Yet. There's some things yet to be done. And then after that, uh, he's going to let you go. It's all in my timing, Moses. Israel, it's all in my timing. The word yet is a key word in this passage. God is telling Moses that he is not yet done with Pharaoh. Uh, Moses and the children of Israel can rest knowing that God is not done with judging Pharaoh quite yet. But God's deliverance is on uh, this promise to Abraham's seed, and it's been waiting for over 400 years since the time of Abraham, since the time Abraham was called out of Ur of Chaldees. So God's deliverance on this promise to Abraham's seed has been waiting for over 400 years. It's been 400 years in, in, in waiting. You're like, well, wait a minute, Brian. What do you mean it's been 400 years? Yeah, it's 400 years. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 14. Long before there was a Moses, long before there was a Jacob, long before there was an Isaac, there was an Abraham. And, and, and when God was speaking and calling out Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees, he said this to, to Abraham. He says, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. So hundreds of years before, Abraham was, in, was already clued into what was going to happen. With his seed. Isn't that neat? We talk about it all the time. I mean, aren't you glad you know what happens to your seed in the future? If they know Jesus, what happens when they die? They go to heaven. We're counting on it. That's what the Bible says. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. There's a millennial reign. We, know, we have all this information about what will happen. Abraham knew hundreds of years in advance what will happen. Not only the good, but also the bad. It was recorded in Genesis 15. And verse 14, so before Moses was called by God at Sinai, it, it would not have seemed possible that God would be able to fulfill this promise. You think about that. If you were in the bondage 
of Egypt. And in, your son just got killed, just got taken and thrown in the Nile River by uh, one of uh, Pharaoh's uh, you know, henchmen. And uh, your life is turned upside down. You're under hard labor. Uh, you're crying out to God, is, 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 and that's how we entered it, the book of Exodus, crying out to God for relief. It would seem at that time like these promises were a million miles away. Have you ever been there? I mean, I have. There's times when you think, man, the Bible says this, we're counting on it, but yet the, the, the problems, the pressures, all the, all the things of this world may come upon you, and you feel like, man, those promises are a million miles away. I will never have peace. I will never have hope. I will never be out of debt. I will never, you know, I will never be out of, I will never be out of trouble. I'll never get out of jail, whatever it is. You know what? God fulfills his word. If you're born again, you're more than a conqueror. But I want to hold on that point. In 1918, it would have seemed impossible uh, for God to have restored the nation of Israel. I mean, if you, in 1900, uh, many people didn't even consider the fact that the nation of Israel would be a real nation. It had been dispersed for thousand, over a thousand years, uh, 1,848 years by the time the Belfar Declaration was, was given. And it took another several years until 1948 before it was actually officially a nation. But that is a miraculous thing. Why did that happen? Because God said it would. His Bible, his book of wisdom has told us those things in advance. We know those things. Uh, we could have known those things in 1880. You know, you could have known those things in 1200 A.D. If you understood the word of God and you believe what God said. Why? Because Romans talks about it. This is what I'm going to do with Israel. It's got to happen. We know right now there will be a temple in Israel. How do we know there's going to be a temple in Israel? Because the book of Revelation tells us. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 tells us. Right? How do we know there's going to be an Antichrist? Because the Bible tells us. And so these things are not like catching us by surprise. Why? Because we have wisdom. We can see things that are going to happen before they even happen. And so though we know God's will is to see all souls saved, it seems impossible at times to believe God will deliver a soul to salvation. Now let me bring this down where the rubber meets the road, right? Because I'm talking about some of you guys, are you're getting what I'm laying down and, and you're studying your Bibles and you're, you know about some of this dispensational type of thinking and what have you. But at the end of the day, what's that got to do with you and me when we walk out of here today? What's that got to do with us when we get up in the morning and go to work, school, uh, or wherever God has us to go? Well, I'm glad you asked. You're asking really good questions. And so <laughs> this, is what, this is the reality. There are times in, in our lives when it seems like even though, even though we know God says he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and we know that he wants people in eternity with us, we kind of give up hope. Anybody ever given up hope? Oh, man. I, can, I, I, I could tell you some stories, and I will. I've been there. I mean, at the end of the day, if what we're preaching and teaching here doesn't really move us at our core to go out and share the gospel, isn't that what the kids just said? We can't only be taught, but we got to be teaching. We can't only take it in, we got to give it out. That should be kind of perfunctory, right? That should be something that is natural. Uh, you know, you drink too much coffee, you got to get rid of it. I mean, you just got to, I mean, it's just going to, it's going to happen. You take it in, it needs to go out. And so that goes out in the gospel. But sometimes there's people in your life, people that you love, people you care about, and you think, man, they're so hard-hearted. They're like Pharaoh. They will never get saved. But you know what's comforting? Is that God wants them to be saved. And as much as you love them, God loves them more. 
and has proven that in reality by dying on the cross 2,000 years ago, and he died for them already in advance so that they might be saved. And they should be saved. And they shall be saved if they bow their knee and they confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. But you know what? Sometimes we give up. I had three cousins um, when I first got saved, and I was praying. I mean, they went to Van Horn, so you know. I'm like, man, that's, that's terrible. Those kids are going to go to hell. They go to Van Horn. No. Anyway, um, <clears throat> you just have to. Anybody here go to Van Horn? I just want to know who I offended. My mom went to Van Horn. She's watching. So uh, the horn. Anyway, uh, it was a rough school, especially back then in the, in the 80s. But um, and I'm praying. I'm praying. I am praying for him because it is a rough school at that time. They lived in a rough neighborhood and they had a lot of rough influences. And I was praying. And you know what happens after a while is you just you give up. But you know what God did? He honored those prayers. And all three of those cousins of mine got saved. And uh, amen. And, and not because of me, but I'm just saying I was so. And you know what? A couple of them came to our church. I'm like at church one day. You know, and next thing I look over, I'm like, there's my cousin Angie. Boom, just right there. And uh, and, uh, there, and, uh, and a couple of them are still serving the Lord faithfully. It's amazing what God does. Why? Because he's not willing that any should perish. He wanted, to, he wanted them to save more than I did. He was the one telling me, Brian, pray for your cousins. If you care about them, pray for them. Share. But we've seen it happen. I mean, Amy, we prayed for her uncle. Who would have thought your uncle was going to get saved? We show up one day. We're sitting around the coffee table. And he accepts Christ right there at the coffee table in his mom's house. You know, it blew us both away. We're like, whoa, that's God's will. He's not willing that any should perish. That's what the Bible says. But you got to be willing to open your mouth, don't you? You got to. You got to have the wisdom. You know how long we prayed for Keith Bonison? Oh, my goodness. Literally like a decade. Keith Bonison, every week, me and Dale Lytle, Keith Bonison, he's on our salvation list. We pray that you save Keith Bonison. Next, next, next. You know, Roman Catholic, uh, not interested in the gospel. Jeremy Bonison's dad. Don't know him personally. Just met him once maybe at a family shindig uh, at the Bonisons, but don't really know the guy. And then, bam, God saves him. Why? Because God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should kind of... If there was somebody that wasn't going to get saved because of whatever excuses... That guy was the guy. There was no nothing that looked like this guy was going to get saved other than it was God's will and people were praying. And, of course, obviously sharing the gospel as well. You can't just pray. you got to share as well. And I could go on and on. We could go through stories and stories, even in this room. Some of you could tell it's your own story. Who would have thought you would get saved or Uncle Joe would have got saved or whoever would have gotten saved? But God wants us to share the gospel. He wants us to pray. He wants us to believe that he's going to do what he says he will do. Do you believe that God... It starts with just believing God can save somebody. Who are we to sit around and tell God who he can or can't save? He can take a nation and create them out of thin air. I mean, reconstitute a nation, a complete nation out of thin air. He can take and, and, take and bring these plagues to Moses or uh, through Moses to Egypt just at will. He creates this from the dust of the ground. Blows into our nostrils the breath of life, man. Man becomes a living soul. I mean, God is so awesome that it is. It is. He has the power and he has the want to, and we need to get on board with what he's doing. And that doesn't mean people will capitulate. Pharaoh doesn't, but that should encourage us. We should have the wisdom 
to understand that, you know what, God, your word is true and you will deliver on your promises. You'll deliver on your promises. Uh, Not knowing when God will fulfill his word should not discourage us, but encourage us to continue to obey his word and to fulfill his will. God just says, hey, Moses, I'm not done with Pharaoh yet, but I will be. It's coming and just obey me. Do what I tell you to do because it's coming. The pioneer missionary William Carey once said, uh, <clears throat> expect, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And we should be doing that. Expect great things from God and then attempt to do great things for God. What God has promised in time uh, will come to pass in eternity. And so what are you trusting him for today? A soul, a city, a nation, a people group? I mean, God could have someone in this room right now. He could be stirring in your heart. And you know, like you know that you're sitting here, he's calling you to to missions. He's calling you to ministry. You need to respond to that. You need to respond to God and do the next right step. As a church, we need to trust God together to use the investment uh, that we have here, the word of God in the the armory, uh, the mission trips, the missionary relationships that we have, all of that to get the gospel where it needs to go. And we need to expect God to do great things. When we go to the DR in a couple of weeks, we need to expect God to do great things. When we go to Boston in a few weeks, we need to expect God to do great things. A few years ago, uh, Steve went up to London with a team, small team. Some of the best fruit that came uh, out of that, out of, out of the, all those trips, it was Steve. He just goes in and didn't he lead a guy to Christ and, or a guy that he met got saved. And that was like, that was like hitting a rock up there. I mean, it's like going to Boston. I mean, God does great things. We know from 1 Corinthians 15:52 and 1 Thessalonians 4:13 through 18 that the return of Christ for his church is imminent and it's near. But we don't yet know when he's going to be here for us. We don't know the day or the hour, but we do know the times and the seasons. Like Moses, he knew it was time for plague number 10. He knew it was time. We know it's time for us to wrap up this dispensation and get out of here, but it's not yet. And in the meantime, what do you do? Well, you obey God. I obey God. Like Moses, the children of Israel and the Egyptian And any Egyptian that had a brain in their head, they understood that God's judgment was coming upon the world and that our blessed hope of being absent from the body and present with the Lord is nearer than when we believe. Even if we don't live to the rapture, right? We could walk out of here today and a meteorite fall out of the sky and hit us in the parking lot. I mean, anything can happen. Uh, You know, you may not make it to the rapture, but we still have hope. If you don't live to the rapture, Our death will mark the end of our ministry in this tabernacle, but it will still point us toward the reality of the resurrection and our future ministry in our glorified bodies. There is hope uh, beyond this life for us. Romans 13, 11 says, And that knowing at the time that, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. Sometimes we go to sleep. We go to sleep on God. We slumber. We need to wake up. Wake up, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. It's time to wake up, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. You already have salvation, I have salvation, but we know there's much more to our salvation, and that glory is nearer than the day I believe, March 25th, 1987. Some years have clicked by, and I'm closer now to my inheritance than I ever was 30-some years ago when I got saved. And you are too. If you got saved yesterday, you're one day closer to glory than you were yesterday. It is nearer than when we believe. And as we move closer to, to being with the Lord Jesus, we need to be busy about his business, believing him for what he has said and, and having hope in the promises that are yet future. Because sometimes in the day-to-day grind, it is, not, it, is, it is entirely plausible that things on earth could get worse before they get better. 
So you better, and I better, be looking forward to something better. You see what I'm saying? Because it's not yet over down here. But boy, when it is, we're going to be free at last, beloved. We will be free from these carcasses. We'll be in glorified bodies, and we'll be ruling and reigning with Christ. So rest in the knowledge that God's promises are delivered when God says they will be delivered, and he is going to come on time. You're like, man, Lord, where are you? He's coming. He's coming, and he's going to be on time. Point C, the, re- the, the rest, rest in the knowledge that God's promises are delivered as God says he'll deliver them. God reminds Moses of the sequence in Exodus 11.1. 1. He will bring one more plague, not two or three, but one more. And afterwards, he will let you go hence. And he won't do it gently or amiably. He will, he will thrust you out. Uh, so be prepared, Moses. You're gonna, you guys are going to be moved out in a hurry. He's going to kick you out of here. And it's clear to see that Pharaoh will capitulate uh, and have a, a change. I'm sorry, that Pharaoh will not capitulate to God's commands or have a change of heart. And so there are some who who uh, who do the right things with the wrong motives, right? Moses or Pharaoh is going to he's going to go ahead and capitulate to God uh, and and let the children of Israel go, but then he's going to change his mind immediately, like immediately like he always does, and 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 the judgment's going to come upon him. Because some people they'll do the right thing, but they do it under duress and they don't do it with the right heart attitude. So God is both sovereign; He's omniscient; He's omnipotent. So he, he has the right answer, no matter the variables. He knows everything that's going to happen, and he's also all-powerful. And he will judge righteous judgment upon those who never yield to his saving grace by judging them by the standard of their own conscience and the law that's written upon their hearts. If, Mo, if uh, Pharaoh wants to live as a god of the Egyptians, eventually God will say, fine, Pharaoh, you can do that, and you'll be judged by that. In Romans 2.14, the Bible says, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. In In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. So what Paul is saying there is that even lost people, whether they admit it or not, have a standard. And if they were judged by their own standards, you know what? They'll fail that, just like we do the law. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why we need Jesus. So point D, rest in the knowledge that God's promises are delivered how God says he will deliver them. God goes on to tell Moses specifically how this judgment will come to pass, including the response of the Egyptians in verses 4 through 8. And God fulfills his word exactly as he stated, just as God promised to Abraham over 400 years prior that God would fulfill his words, deliver Israel from this situation, and and then God is going to call them uh, to uh, the promised land, exactly as God said he would do. God is calling all men today, he's calling all men everywhere, the Bible says, to repent, offering to save those who will call upon his name. So how will Pharaoh let them go? Well, he's going to thrust them out. That's how. He's not going to do it willingly. You know what? We have been given the whole counsel of God's word. And we have the end of the story. And God is going to execute this game plan, this, this book, exactly as he said. Exactly when he said. As he said and how he says it. When you read the book of Revelation, sometimes you look at that and you're like, how is that possible? It's not hard to understand. It's just hard to believe. It's hard to believe, but it is going to happen just exactly the way God said. So 
Wait on God to deliver what he promised. And secondly, worship God. That's wisdom. Wait on God to deliver what he promised. If you need all that boiled down, just wait on God to deliver what he promised. His word is true. Secondly, worship God with the blessing he provides and with the blessings he provides. In verse 2, he says, Speak now to the ears of the people and let every man borrow his, uh, of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels, silver, and jewels of gold. And now, typically, borrowing gets you in trouble. But in this case, God commands it. He's like, borrow. Take from these folks uh, their jewels and their silver. Uh, take from them uh, their, their gold and borrow. Now, this has a double entendre in, in this passage. God is pointing out that the Jews did not steal the goods uh, of the Egyptians. It, it was offered willingly uh, by the Egyptians because the Egyptians understood uh, that they understood the promise of Genesis chapter 12. If I, if we bless people, maybe God will bless us. That's what they're thinking. They're, they're believing that promise at this point because they can see it. Um, the Egyptians had gotten very wealthy also off the back of the Egypt, uh, the, of the uh, Jews. And so, uh, many, uh, authors and, and, uh, and scholars have pointed out that the spoiling of the children of Egypt as the children of Israel left, uh, is in essence back pay. Uh, for all the years they robbed him. So today that's a big topic in America, right? Uh, um, not retribution. What do they call that? Reparations, right? Reparations. Uh, of course, this is real-time reparations. These people are slaves. And so God is giving them back uh, some of the things that he needs for them. What are they going to do, by the way? What are they going to do with all this gold and silver? Amen. They're going to make it. They're going to use it for worship. They're going to use it to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, but another thing I want you to see about this is, is the, secondly, the most important thing I think that we can see that the Holy Ghost is showing us here is this word borrowed. Uh, <clears throat> because ultimately, God could have said that however he wanted. He could have said take to you. He could have said a lot of things. But he used the word in English, borrowed. Uh, and so why is that? <clears throat> well, it's because Israel ultimately is not a faithful steward of these resources. And so only God knows that. We know that in retrospect. But, we, but at the time, nobody knew how this was going to work out. And the Hebrew word there uh, is not the same word for borrow. It's to ask. If, if the, I think it's El Shalal or something like that. It means to ask for these things, which is like borrowing. But, but God in his providence in your English Bible uses the word borrowed. And I'm going to tell you why I think that's important. Because, because what is going on here is, is that God in Exodus 12.35, he says, you know, borrow... Uh, these things. He says it again. This is the correct word because this blessing was intended to establish the children of Israel in worship of the tabernacle. And it is given back to the Egyptians again in Second Chronicles and also in the book of, uh, well, Second Chronicles primarily, but you can also see it, I think, in Second Kings. So eventually what they take goes back to Egypt. Now, I don't think that's what God intended. But why did it go back? Because Israel wasn't faithful. In the reign of Solomon, you know what? Solomon, he had many, he loved many strange women, and it took his heart away. He didn't, he, he deviated from what the Word of God said. He's a type of Christ. He's also a type of the Antichrist. And he went into idolatry and allowed idols to come into his world through these women. It stole his heart. And the next thing you know, there's a split between his sons, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And the Bible tells us in in Second uh, Chronicles chapter twelve and verse nineteen, uh, during the time of his son Rehoboam, 
So Shikshak, the king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem and took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took all. He carried away all the shields of gold which Solomon had made. You know what? They came to repossess some of that, some of that gold that God had given. In Second Chronicles 36, many, many years later, um, uh, Israel is still, uh, Jerusalem in particular, is being disobedient, uh, Judah. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse 3, the Bible says, And the king of Egypt put him down at Jerusalem and condemned the land in a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And so God allowed judgment to eventually come upon Israel because of their disobedience. The wealth that they had gotten on the way out eventually was taken back because they were disobedient. You know what? God in his, whole, in his providence, that's not the Hebrew word. Hebrew word is ask for but the English word is borrowed. Because by the time uh, we get to see this in English, it's very clear what the Holy Ghost is telling us. They borrowed that stuff instead of keeping it as they should have because they were disobedient. I tell you guys, it's, it's a lesson to us to be faithful with the things God gives us because the things that God gives us, are, he, they're on loan from God. You know, there's a, a radio broadcaster who used to say that. You know what? The things God gives us are on loan from God and we're stewards of those things and we need to be good stewards uh, while we have them on a practical level we understand that all the material resources that resources that god has blessed us with are temporary and and we should leverage them for the kingdom of god unlike pharaoh who could not take his riches with him uh, or he thought he could but of course he couldn't we talked about that a couple weeks ago we can leverage the mammon of this world to impact the spiritual kingdom of god how are we taking the things that God has allowed us to borrow while we're here, right? You and I can't, we can't take the gold, the silver, the dollar bill, the, the house, the car, none of that. None of that's going to go with us. But how are we leveraging it for the kingdom of God? You know, the Bible tells us in Matthew six twenty four, no man, <clears throat> no man can serve two masters for he will either hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is filthy money. It's just the riches of this world. First Timothy 6, uh, Paul writing to Timothy says, For we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. You're not taking anything out of here. You're not even taking this carcass. This carcass if the rapture comes, it'll change in an instant, as, uh, as, as uh, 1 Corinthians 15, when that happens. But uh, other than that, you're not taking anything other than what the soul that God has given you. And it's sealed into the day of redemption. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Paul says, hey, Timothy, don't get too caught up in the things. Godliness with contentment is great gain. There are other priorities that are more important than the temporal things around us. 1 Timothy 6, 17, he goes on to charge his son Timothy. Now, this is a charge. He's telling the preacher to charge. I actually was convicted about this because I don't do this very often, if ever, actually. He says, charge them that are rich in this world. I don't know that I've ever gone up to somebody that's wealthy and charged them. I mean, saying, hey, look, the Bible says if you are wealthy, this is what you need to do. This is what Paul, Timothy said. Don't get mad at me. They, that, <clears throat> that they, first of all, don't be high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches. Don't put your faith in your wealth. And that goes for Americans as a whole. But in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. By the way, if you're wealthy, it's not a sin. And enjoy that wealth. It's okay. Enjoy it. Go on vacation. Enjoy all the luxuries. All right? But he's saying, don't get caught up in that. He goes on to say, 
um, that they do good, <clears throat> that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. What does that mean, willing to communicate? Hey, if you've got a lot of wealth, you need to be ready to give it to the work of the Lord. And I know in this church, I don't know who's wealthy and who's not, but I know that people are giving here. Uh, and I, I kind of think of us more of a Macedonian type of church, giving probably beyond what we have oftentimes by God's grace. But if you are wealthy, if you are sitting on a pile of cash, the Bible tells you you need to be like minded to communicate. Just like you'd be minded on how to make money, you need to have a strategy on how to give it away for the benefit of the kingdom of God. Not just being silly about it, but make strategic biblical investments so you can gain in the kingdom of God. Communicate. Be willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. That is going to benefit you at the judgment seat of Christ, that they may lay hold on eternal life, that they may get the most out of what's coming in eternity, maximizing the kingdom of God. Paul reminds the Corinthians uh, to remember to leverage the relationships and the opportunities in life in light of eternity. You say, man, I don't have two nickels to rub together. But you know what? You, got, you might be rich in relationships. Use those for the kingdom of God. First Corinthians seven twenty nine. At this I say, brethren, the time is short. It, re, it remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that, that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not, and they that use this world as not abusing it. For the fashion of this world passeth away. What's Paul saying there? He's like, hey, have some balance. Make sure that all that you do... 1 Corinthians 10, 31, right? Do all for the glory of God. Don't get caught up in all the trappings. Put your, your, your focus on things above. Because we are rich in the word of God. Beloved as a church, we're rich in the word of God. That's where we need to be investing. The most valuable resource we have, by the way, is, you know what it is. It's time. The older you get, the more you realize it. The second most valuable thing is the relationships you have. You find out the money, money doesn't even compare to time. It's the people you know, the person you know, the Lord Jesus, the people you know, and how you leverage your time with the resources you have. Be good stewards of that. We need to make sure we worship God uh, with the blessings he provides. The most valuable resource you have is time. And if we invest it in the word of God and the souls of men, we will lay up treasure in heaven Upon that foundation of Christ. Thirdly, realize the weight of our testimony. In verse 3 it says, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh, his servants, and in the sight of his people. Now I touched on this a couple weeks ago from the other side, how Pharaoh lost his testimony. And while he has spent all his relational capital in this war for worship, the children of Israel and Moses were given favor in the sight of the Egyptians. In a short amount of time, God is able to take them from being the scourge of, of the Egyptian uh, population, right? Those shepherds that the Egyptians hate to people that they're willing to take off their bracelets and all their gold and here you go. Can I come with you? <laughs> they're ready to follow them because they realize this ship is sinking. Many of them realize that ship in Egypt was sinking. They, be, they had great favor. You know, Moses was very great in the land as well. I would say he all of a sudden was rivaling Pharaoh, who was considered a deity. More valuable than wealth that is borrowed from this world is the testimony of, our, of God's people. More valuable than money is the testimony of God's people. 
And that is, that is really, that is so true. It's hard to go to war when the people you are at war with love and respect you. You know, those, a lot of those Egyptians didn't want to fight anymore. Even in, we saw, even in Pharaoh's court, they're like, hey, 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 let's, even if they didn't love the Jews, they, they learned to respect them. You know why we have a lot of troubles in this world? I can tell you. Now, I, you gotta remember how I grew up. I wasn't raised in a church. So I know how this thing is played on both sides. I know how lost people view us. And they view me. I can see it in their eyes sometimes when I'm talking to them. They want to roll it, but they won't out of respect. But they're, they're eye rollers. Why? Because they don't respect us. You know why they don't respect us oftentimes? Because we capitulate to the world. We try way too hard to be like the world, especially the last 20 years. The church has been ridiculous in trying to assimilate to the world. And it, some of that is a natural response because we, uh, because even especially among fundamentalists, we got too legalistic. So it's kind of a balancing thing. You got to have balance there. But we we don't really. I don't even want to compete with the world. You know why? If you've been in the world, there's nothing there for you. What we have is unique. What we have is the Word of God. We don't need PowerPoint. I use it. We don't need it. We don't need PowerPoint. We don't even need. We don't even need audio systems. I can yell. You know what? What we have is the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That's what makes, that's what, that's really what makes it go, is Jesus, right? We have Jesus and we need to represent Him well. Our testimony is worth gold. It's more than gold. And you know yourself, if you, if you grew up very long in life and you weren't saved, even people that you would curse and despise and mock, teetotaler, blah, 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 whatever you want to call them, in your heart, you respected that guy or that gal. Why? Because you knew they were square with God, and you aren't. You know what? We need to have a testimony. Don't get Christians. Don't get your feelings hurt when you come to the family family meeting or whatever. All of a sudden, they're hiding their beer or their smokes or whatever they're doing. You're like, oh, the preacher's there. You know. You know what? That's just the spirit of God working through you. Just be who God saved you to be. Now, don't be a jerk face about it. Your your testimony. Their testimony, their testimony was was now gold in the sight of the Egyptians. It's hard to go to war with people that you respect. It's hard to go to war with people that, that you love. At the conclusion of the Revolutionary War, you know, there, 50% of the Hessian troops, you know where they, they ended up? Now, they don't know the exact number because some were dead. But the ones that lived, they estimate 40%. They don't really know the real numbers because they weren't running around taking tallies. never went back home. You know what they did? They joined the enemy. And they raised their families. And a lot of their blood is still in this country to this day. Why? Because they saw that something that was here was better than the prince that sent them to this war to go fight. And they said, you know what? We can't beat them. (laughs) We're going to join them. And you know what, beloved? That's a testimony that we need to have. People need to realize, you know what, whatever those people have in their heart, whatever they have in their hand, it is so good that, you know what, I'm thinking of leaving. I'm leaving this old army of the devil, and I'm going to join that one with the God, the true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not one of those that believes that it's just our testimony. You need to, we got to open our mouth. But man, if, if our life doesn't back up what we say, we become hypocrites. Now, every lost person is going to call you a hypocrite. 
But the reality is you don't, you shouldn't be one, right? That's the key. Don't be a hypocrite. They can call you a hypocrite all day long. Just make sure you're not one. So it's hard to go to war with people you love. After the war for worship, we see that the testimony of God's people and Moses will draw Egyptians not only to give their wealth, but eventually they'll give their lives as servants to Israel. And some will depart and become a mixed multitude. And God will allow it and even let them be part of the Passover so that their children will be spared. Why? Because they believe what the word of God says about the coming judgment. And they get grafted in. Sound familiar? Yeah, it sure does. That's about the story of every one of us that says we're born again in this room. We're grafted in because of the grace of God upon this world. And faithful witnesses, uh, the faithful witness and testimony will cause people to worship Christ. In Matthew 5.13, the Bible says, ye, that are, ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherein shall it be salted? It is uh, thenceforth good for nothing. But be cast out and trodden underfoot. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but under a candlestick, and it giveth light unto them that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, our vision here at HBF from Philippians two thirteen through 16 is to be a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And by God's grace, we'll be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. You know what the Bible says? Our light should shine brighter and brighter as we see that day coming. So has your testimony been used of God to draw anyone? This is practical. Just think about the answer to this question. Write it down. Think about it. Has your testimony, just your walk with God, been used of God to draw anybody, anyone, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are they? I don't care. I don't want to know the answer. I'm not asking this for my benefit. This is what I was asking myself when I was preparing this message. Brian, is your life being used of God to draw people to him? If your life is repelling people, then you definitely need to repent. If your life is drawing people to Christ, you're on the right track. That's what God would have. You're being a light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. So wait on God to deliver what he's promised. Worship God with the blessings he provides. Realize the weight of our testimony. And remember your birthright. In verses 4 through 8, I'm going to skip to verse 7. He says, But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. God sanctified the children of Israel for the Egyptians' Uh, and so that they can see that difference. And we've seen over and over that God views Israel as his son in Exodus 4, 22. And we understand from 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3, that right now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, the Bible says. Uh, but the Bible says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when uh, he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So we have a few blanks here. Number one, your birthright protects you as a son. You know what? Israel was protected, as we've seen. Your birthright protects you as a son of God. God protects the children of God as a son. In Matthew 7, Jesus is speaking, and he says, hey... I'm going to paraphrase it. If you, we, lost people know how to give good things to their kids. Who's going to give their kid a serpent? 
if he, if he asks for a, or who's going to give their son a stone if he asks for bread or if he asks for fish, who's going to give him a serpent? Not, not an evil father, but a good father. He says, hey, you know what? Even lost people are, can be good fathers, but the father in heaven is so much better. Even if you have a messed up childhood, a messed up daddy, you know what? If you're born again, you've got a new daddy. And your new daddy, he'll protect you as he protects his son. He also, your birthright causes God to provide for you as a son. In Galatians 4, 6, the Bible says, And because you're sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You know that desire you have for the father. Father, Father, Abba, Father. Right? One is Abba is Hebrew. Uh, father is the Greek word. Abba, Father, he's, he's, he's put that want to even in your heart, that cry for the Father in heaven. Where does that come from? It comes from the Spirit of God that is in you. And God has given us that. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You know what? That's what the Egyptians were realizing. That's what the nation of Israel had to wake up to, is that we are called of God. We are an army. We are a nation. They weren't just servants. They weren't just slaves. They were, as a nation, corporately, the son of God. We individually are sons of God. Point C, your birthright divides you from the world. Right? Not even a dog is going to say anything against the children of Israel. It's not going to move its tongue against them. The Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. You know what? We're to be holy, for he is holy. There should be a difference in our lives. Some try and use this passage to promote racism. That is absolutely wrong. That God has saved us and he's put a difference in us. And that difference is the Lord Jesus Christ. We are new creatures in Christ. We're, we're completely different on the inside. However, when we get saved, there should be a difference between us and the world. And it starts with our birthright. You know, in Ephesians chapter 2, that verse, we like to run down to Ephesians 2, 8. But the first seven verses of that chapter really put it succinctly. So I'll just tell you what Paul said. And it says, And you hath he quickened, brought to life, who were dead in trespasses and sins, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air. Pharaoh had your number. That's how you walked. That's how you talked. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, that is who we were. Among whom we all had our conversation in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were all there. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, has brought us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You think, well, Brian, I'm not sitting in heavenly places. Not yet, but you are, because Christ that is in you is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Your life is hid in him. When God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees his son, who is the only righteous son of God. But his righteousness is imputed unto us, and it justifies us, and it makes us just like him, just as if I've never sinned. It's a beautiful thing that God has done through his son. That's why he's our advocate, and he's our propitiation. You are a son of God. It's an amazing thing that God has done in your heart. Notice the way Moses leaves the presence of of the king in Exodus 11:8 I mentioned he's angry he's righteously indignant he's not in God he's not out of God's will he is actually demonstrating the power of the king of kings and the lord of lords and he is putting pharaoh on notice that judgment is coming Amy and I had the privilege of seeing the Billy Graham museum not long ago and it it far exceeded my expectations 
uh, in spite of some of the compromises of Billy Graham and, and all the things that, that uh, he did with Rome and different things, uh, I thought, man, this is going to be some memorial to a preacher, and that's not going to be good. But you know what? I was pleasant. Anybody ever seen that thing out in uh, South Carolina? I went through that thing, and, you know, they did their best to make it about Jesus Christ and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was like, praise God. I was actually encouraged. One of the things that was interesting as I went through that and I looked at that was, uh, uh, was the fact that God brought him before mighty men. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs twenty two twenty nine: Seest thou man diligent in his business? He, he, shall not stand before, or he shall stand before kings, and he shall not stand before mean men. You know, God will make a way for you if you're serious, and he will exalt your stature and put you before powerful people so if you can be trusted to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should have boldness like Paul if called upon to stand before men of stature. For someday all men will bow the knee and confess with their mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's just a matter of time. If you do it now or you do it at the great white throne judgment. But everyone's eventually going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. And so I pray that we've already done that. You know, the Bible tells us not to be respecter of persons. Romans 2.11 says, For there's no respect of persons with God, so there shouldn't be respect of persons with us. It should be every, We should be colorblind, and we should look at all people equally as sinners or saints, lost or saved. Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. Are they one in Christ? Black or white, doesn't matter. Right or left, doesn't matter. Up or down, doesn't matter. Even, oh, here's one. Gay or straight, doesn't matter. And they're not in Christ. They need to be saved. They need to be right with Christ. Their perversion will get fixed once they get in Christ by God's grace, right? Just like your perversion and my perversion gets fixed once we're in Christ, right? Because everyone's a pervert out there, just so you know. And so that's what Jesus Christ does is get us right, gets us aligned with him. And so people don't know what's right until they know the righteousness of God. They've got to know Jesus, who is the righteousness of God. Ephesians 6, 9, And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Remember your birthright. You may be a child of the king. You don't have to bow to, you don't have to, bow to, to King George. You don't have to bow to the President of the United States. You should honor him, like Romans 13 says. The only king that we bow before is who? The Lord Jesus Christ. But also understand that we're to be humbled. Colossians 3.23, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that, uh, that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. If you do wrong, expect to pay the price. Expect to pay the, pay the price. God's not, he's a good father, but he's not going to cover for you. James 2, 9 and 10. But if ye have respect of persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point is guilty of all. Remember your birthright. And lastly, rejoice in the knowledge that the delay is not defeat. In those last couple of verses, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. You see, God uses Pharaoh's hardness to multiply his wonders in the land of Egypt. You know what we're supposed to multiply today? Disciples. We're supposed to multiply disciples. Throughout church history, the more oppressive the world becomes, 
the more the wonders are multiplied. You know what's multiplied? The disciples. The more the word, the harder it gets, the more the church grows. It's a, it's a, the more martyrs there are, the, you just cannot stop God. Why? He does wonderful work in that kind of environment because he can, because he's God, because he's gracious, because he's merciful. And we can rejoice even in the difficulties. There's an old saying uh, that goes, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. God, God would go on uh, many years later and, and, and move an entire nation uh, at the sincere, heartfelt uh, defeat of a young man who was willing to take a giant that was so polarizing and slay him right in front of God and everybody, that Philistine named Goliath. You all know the story. What was that all about? God was taking a circumstance that looked so difficult, and he took a person of faith, and he turned the tables right on time because God can do that. He's able. He's more than able. So rejoice in the knowledge that delay is not defeat. God knows exactly how to do that, how to get, get, uh, get the victory. In, in, uh, uh, in the 1200s, William Tyndale, he'd done all this work to translate the Bible into English. I mean, it, it, he did a great work. Um, it, in essence, the King James Bible that we have is the, is the fruit of his work in many respects. And you know what? He didn't get to see, see what we see today. He couldn't even publish it. And so as he was, I think it was Belgium, uh, he ended up getting caught. He got turned, he got, he got betrayed by his own friends, like Jesse James. You know, they, they turned him in and then they hunt, they strangled him and they burned him at the stake. But before he got strangled, the last thing he said is, you know, dear God, open the king of, of England's eyes. And you know what? Two years later, that rascal, King Henry VIII, because he was mad about his divorces and all of that. God, I don't know if he opened his eyes, but God used that wicked king, Henry, to, to, to authorize and to let the Bible be published in every parish throughout all of England. And the word of God went forth across England. Now, to be fair, all the Lollards were still persecuted heavily, but God got the word where it needed to go, and it, and it has done the work that it needed to, to, to do. The hardness of Pharaoh's heart allowed God to systematically destroy the confidence of both the Pharaoh and the people of Egypt and those pagan gods that they had been worshiping. And why did he want to destroy that confidence so they could trust? And some of them did. The one true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Lord Jesus Christ, as we know it today. Just because Pharaoh would not let Israel go would not mean that they, <clears throat> that they wouldn't leave. Let me say that twice. Just because Pharaoh would not let them go doesn't mean that Israel wasn't going to leave. Beloved, there's a war for worship. And I can tell you right now, as I look out here, and I know you and I know me, there's a war. And the devil wants to keep a grip on you. He wants to keep you subdued. He wants to keep you in your seat, so to speak. He wants to keep you quiet. He wants to keep you. And I'm not talking about political stuff, so I want to be very clear about this. I'm talking about the preaching of the gospel. This is more scary than political stuff, I promise you. The preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he can just keep you subdued so you don't break out and you don't start telling people about Jesus, start living a life that draws people to Christ, bringing people to a place where they know Christ as Savior, discipling them in the word of God. Man, the last thing the adversary wants you to do is actually do what you're saved to do as a son of God. He wants to keep you bound. But I tell you what, 
it doesn't matter. You're not. God has won. You and I are free. If we don't take advantage of the opportunity to to share the gospel and make disciples, it isn't because of oppression from the government, left, right, up, down. It isn't because of BLM or, or the KKK. It has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It has to do with us not seizing hold of the liberty that we have in Christ and sharing the love of Christ with everybody around us. Beloved, we're free, and we need to live like it. There is no freedom. If, if we ain't free, nobody's free. And I want to end on this. Romans eight twenty eight, familiar to most of us. And we know, we know that all things work together for good. Condition to them that love God. And if you love God, what do you do? Keep his commandments. To them who are the called according to his purpose. And it goes on to say in Romans 8, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors through him that loved us. Listen, beloved. When's the Lord coming? I don't know the day or the hour. I do know it's the right time. I know it's the right season. I know it's coming. It's coming soon, but I can't tell you what day. I can't tell you what hour. But I can tell you this. No matter how bad it gets, you and I are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Delay. Delay is not defeat. You know what delay is? Is opportunity for us to influence people to join us when we leave. In the New Testament, Peter would write to those who scoffed at the idea that Jesus would return. And he said this. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? When I was a kid, I'd hear that. They've been saying Jesus is going to come for years. Yeah, like, you know, what are you, 35, you know? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed, they're going to say. Nothing's going to be different. That's the worst thing you could believe. Pharaoh didn't believe judgment was really going to come. And he was only one plague away. He'd seen this judgment so much he was getting used to it. He just thought it was just going to be another judgment, another solicitation, another move on his part to get around it. But guess what? Time was up. Moses was angry. Judgment was coming. And any delay was a delay to get those last Egyptians that were going to follow the Jews out, out of that country before he dropped the hammer. And beloved, listen to me. In the midst of a passage that is dealing with the judgment on this world with Lucifer at the beginning in Second Peter chapter 2. And then after that, the judgment of Noah on the back end, right in the middle of that thing. Right in the midst of that judgment chapter in Second Peter is this verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what our delay is about? The reason I don't I can't tell you why God delays and what his timing is all about, but I can tell you this, why we're here. We know this that God isn't slack concerning his promises. As some men count slackness. But he's long suffering. He's long suffering. He's patient. He's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But know this, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, and in that which the heavens shall be passed away with great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. 
and their earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And he goes on to the baptism of fire that's going to come yet future after the second coming and ultimately after the millennium when he renovates the universe. It's coming. It's coming. Today, many wave pride flags around celebrating perverse perversions and of God's divine design for human sexuality, relationships, and even their own identification. They do this clinging to the reality that God will not judge the earth again by a flood of water, and that's true. However, like Sodom and Egypt, judgment's coming, and it's coming right on time. And there's a delay. So in the meantime, where the heart of heart are ignoring the warnings from God's word, what do we do? We find wisdom in God's word, and we use the delay to talk to people and say, Hey, look, would you exchange the treasures of this world for relationship with the God of the universe? Would you let go of the trappings of Egypt? Would you let go of your wealth, your jewels, your gold, your silver? Would you let go of the things that you're trusting and trust in the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you? Would you join us as we depart this earth and we rest in the promise that a day is coming soon and very soon where we're going to be caught out of here and avoid the just wrath that will affect you and your posterity? Will you come? Will you come? I mean, that's the message. We need to be inviting people because God isn't willing that any should perish. We know what the Bible says. We can look forward. We have wisdom, and we should use it wisely. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, as we conclude in an attitude of prayer, and we conclude.